Amen. Open up to Titus chapter 3. We're getting to the end of, of this short letter, but short and dense letter. Someone remind me of the, the themes we've been <clears throat> we've come across in this letter from the Apostle Paul to the apostolic delegate Titus. What themes were there? Are there? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Church order. Church order. Uh, Titus is sent for a task, and that task is to set up churches on this island that's filled with miserable sinners. Cretans. Okay. And so he's he's to uh, he's to bring order to the churches to set up elder boards to set up authority structures in the church. Good. Another theme. You remember. Nathan, you got the last one. You can't get this one. Somebody else has to. Thank you for paying attention, though. <laughs> well, I, I didn't hear you. Godly living, holy living, holy life, right? Orthopraxy, good works. That the faith is not, not dead. It lives. It, 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 um, it comes out of our fingertips, right, in what we do. And so, uh, church order, good works is a theme, and I would also say social order beyond that. Order, order in society, and we get that in chapter 2 as well, the, the, the home, and uh, ah, praise the Lord, air conditioning just turned on. Um, so let's read, uh, we're going to pick up at verse 8 of chapter 3. Uh, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 3, read the whole chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God We'll be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law. They are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to be at Nicopolis, 
for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so he, he makes this statement at the beginning of verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and that, this is a faithful word. And that's a repeated, in the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy and, and in Titus and in 2 Timothy, that phrase recurs. This is a trustworthy statement. This is a faithful word. Pay, it's, it's almost as if he's saying, pay attention to this particularly and um, 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 3.1, 2 Timothy 2.11, and then here he uses the same phrase, this faithful word. And then he goes on to, you know, you never know whether or not he's speaking of what preceded it or what follows it, you know, is, is what he said about being saved by grace through faith, that's a trustworthy statement that he's talking about, or is it afterward? Well, it's is both. <laughs> I mean, um, they're both trustworthy statements. They're both faithful words. It's the inspired word of God. But he goes on to tell Titus to do what? Not yet. Speak confidently. Right, I want you to speak confidently so that those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds. I want you to speak confidently. The, the, the Apostle Paul is encouraging Titus to speak in a certain way, and that's with confidence. He's not to get up and be mealy-mouthed. He's not to get up and be coy. He's not to get up and, and be cute. Right? He's not to get up and tell jokes. He's to get up and speak the word of God confidently. And, and this is the same thing that the Apostle Paul prayed for himself, or asked that others pray for him in Ephesians. The end of Ephesians, and, and Paul says this in chapter 6, 19 and 20, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, and where is he right now? In prison. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Right? The apostle is to speak boldly. That is the manner in which the apostle is meant to speak. Now, pastors are paid these days not to speak in that manner. Right? They're paid by their elder board to protect them from the word of God. Not to speak confidently and boldly, right? Um, this is um, this is a disease on the church today, right? The the um, we're trained by seminaries not to speak confidently, right? We're, we're trained to be nuanced and subtle, but that is the opposite of confident speech. Confident speech speaks the words of God. And, and does so in a way where, where you don't take with one hand what you've given with the other hand. Right? Lays it out. And that's, that's indeed 
what you want, right? You, you don't want pious, cute suggestions, right? You can get that from Oprah. You can get that from the television. You can get that from the radio. You can get that from, from Hallmark, right? Just pious, cute suggestions. Take it or leave it, right? It's the word of God. Take it or leave it. That's the attitude we have about the pulpit today. Rather than confident speech, bold, confident speech, um, we have in our... It's always dangerous for the pastor who's preaching to get up and talk about preaching, right? But and this, is, this is the Lord's pulpit. This is the Lord's church, you know? Um, and so... These things, these things must be said because um, there's such a, a disparity here between what the word says and what uh, our pulpits are like. But in our in our commitments, we say this in this way. We have a we have a number seven. A commitment is about preaching, and. I think it gets at what uh, what these two little words here that speak confidently um, are are teaching, and it says this: true preaching is neither a lecture nor a motivational pep talk. Now it is both of those things, but that's not the whole of it. It is a pep talk. It is a, it is a okay. Now go do live the faith. You know, persevere. Um, um, lecture, lecture is just intellectual, right? It's, the lecture is meant to fill your mind with facts. And, and there are facts in preaching. There is an intellectual content to it, of course, but it's not what it, it is um, in the end. God's spokesman is not to suggest things for the congregation's consideration. He does not s- submit theories to the congregation for their evaluation. Rather, he proclaims God's truth. God's truth, the word of God proclamation of somebody else's word, which is God's. Making piercing applications of that truth to the consciences of particular people. In the name of Jesus Christ, he commands men to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and believing to understand and obey every word recorded in Scripture. God's word is both a hammer and a healing balm, so the preaching of it should lead God's people to fear and to love him, to sobriety and comfort as we face our own sinfulness. We are committed to preaching the whole counsel of God's word. All scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. No scripture at any time is to be rejected because it rubs cultural sensitivities the wrong way. In fact, it is precisely at those points where we need God's word to wake us from our slumber. Right, That confident speech that confident speech that makes, makes it awkward for you to invite your friends to church, right? That's why we want our pastors not to speak confidently, because we want a comfortable situation in which to bring people. You know, not the, not the, not the pastor going off again on homosexuality. It's not, it's not winsome. It's not how to win favor. With people. But here, Paul is telling Titus look, look, it it is imperative that you speak what God has written with great confidence. 
Great confidence. You can't get up in the pulpit and take away with your demeanor what God's word says so clearly. And how many preachers, I mean, I've done this. You could say me to this question, but how many preachers have you known who have got up there and, and who have, it's clear in their manner that, that they, they're uncomfortable with what God's word says. And so what they end up doing is preaching about how this doesn't apply to you. Right? It doesn't apply to you. It doesn't, you know, this is, it doesn't, um, you know, it, it's a, Paul wrote that for first century Jews. Right? That sort of mentality. So everything is erased except for what they can, can actually say confidently, which is 1.3% of the word of God. Okay? That is not, that is not faithfulness to the word. That is not what pastors are called to do and to be. And that is not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying be nuanced. He's not saying be careful. He's saying be confident. Be confident. Speak confidently. Why? Well, here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's terrible. That's the effect of of bad pulpiteering. People turn aside from it because they know it's a joke. They, 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 they refuse to, to, um, to be taught sound doctrine. They want to have their ears tickled. What a phrase, right? Have their ears tickled. When, I, when I'm tired, I like my kids to rub my ears. Right? And it just puts me to sleep. And that's what people want from their pastor. That's what they want from pulpits. Right? Give me sweet, sweet nothing. It tickle my ears. And then it becomes principled, right? You don't just want your ears tickled. It becomes principled. You accumulate for yourselves teachers in accordance with your own desires. That's our temptation. All of us have the temptation to only hear those who tickle our ears and conform to our own desires, right? But that's not confident speaking. That's not God's no as well as God's yes, right? So... Um, that's what Paul, Paul goes into in 2 Timothy. There are a lot of parallels between these, parallel between Titus and, and Timothy. But here he goes on, he says, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. What's, what's the thrust of that? I mean, how would you rephrase that? How would you explain that to your five-year-old son or daughter? Or is it just straight up apparent what it means? Huh? Okay. But he says, speak confidently so that this. 
so that they will what? So that they will be careful, right? So that they they will. Yeah, so so that they won't just be those who are hearers and not doers, but there are those who, who, who live, right? Who put into practice what God's word says, right? It's not just this coming to the word of God. It bounces off of us. We do our good deed of of sitting under the ministry of the word, but we don't. But the word doesn't sober us up, it doesn't correct us, it doesn't train us, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't change us. Right? Do you, you haven't arrived. We all need to change. We all need to grow. We all need to be sanctified. And the means that the Holy Spirit is going to use is going to be the Word of God. That is going to be the means that the Holy Spirit uses. It's the Word of God, preached, read, meditated on day and night, privately, publicly, right? The word of God will be the center of that. And so he, he says, you have to speak confidently. You have to speak clearly, confidently, because then they're going to be sobered up to be careful to engage in good deeds. If you speak mealy mouth, they're going to be able to just take what, you, take what they will, walk away, do what they want, never grow, and have false assurance of their salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and so, so there will be no growth. Okay, so, so Titus is to speak these things confidently, the doctrines contained in this book, so that they might be sobered up to engage in good deeds, right? And it's for those who have believed in God, right? Those who don't believe in God will, will not be careful to engage in good deeds. They can't do anything good, right? Whatever is not of faith is of sin. And so this is written for those who believe. It's for you who believe, right? You must, you must devote yourself to the preaching of God's word. You must devote yourself to the ministries of the church. You must devote yourself to private devotions so that you'll be careful... It, you will be careful to engage in good deeds. Because if you're not engaged in good deeds, what are you engaged in? Bad deeds. <laughs> exact mundo. Functional atheism, right. That was the word that was used by Dr. Haller this morning, and that's exactly right. You, you take in the word of God, you live in a way where the word of God clearly has no impact, effects, um, sobering effect upon your life. And so, what is Titus to speak confidently about? Let's, let's look at this. The, the purpose of him speaking confidently is so that those who believe would be careful to engage in good deeds... These things are good and profitable for men, right? They're, they're, they're good. Titus is to speak of grace and works, faith and works flowing from that faith, justification and sanctification. And those are good deeds, good and profitable things. Um, we get the negative here. You're to engage in good deeds, but not 
bad deeds, and then he gives us a few examples of what those bad deeds are. Foolish controversies, genealogies, strife, and disputes about the law. Okay, so... um, Calvin, Calvin, I, I came across this. Calvin introduces a new type of person. He calls this new type of person the questionarians. What do you think he, he means by the questionarians? Anybody you argue with on Facebook? Right? Scoffers, but, but those who, are, who curiously inquire into everything but never come to a conclusion, right? Curiosity that's never satisfied, and in fact, the whole point of the curiosity is not to, not to conclude, right? Never at rest, never coming down to um, fix their mind on something. Uh, someone said the, the purpose of an open mind is so that at some point it can close on something, right? Chesterton? Yeah, and so the questionarian doesn't want to close down ever. Just question, question, question. You know people like this, right? Filled with questions, inane questions, some important questions, but the problem is they don't want answers. This is the foolish controversies, right? This Paul is telling Titus to tell these Cretans, these Cretans, not to be involved in foolish controversies, these vain questions, speculations, only thinking about those questions that have no answers or whose answers don't matter. Butter or margarine sort of questions. Ah. (laughs) Parquet. Yeah, salt or salt substitute. Wine is good one week, wine's bad the next week, right? I mean, these are the questions. These are the questions that, you know, if you spend time on the internet or watching TV or drudge, these are the questions that engage the mind of minds of people, right? Roswell. Right. Apparently, Hillary Clinton knows something about area whatever. 50, 51? But how much money, how much time, how much engagement have those questions that have no purpose, no import, have nothing to do with, won't change your life. If you knew what was in those sheds in Roswell... It wouldn't change your life a bit, right? Even if it was new technology from some distant planet, right? Um, know things that are useful to be known. Pursue things that are useful to be known and then cling to them, right? You cling to what's useful. And so do some self-examination. Where is it that your mind falls? What crazy speculative questions are you always thinking about that you should just be done with. It's a foolish controversy, and God says, don't be engaged in that. Be engaged in being conformed to my son, Jesus Christ, and doing good deeds to his glory. Right? 
I mean, I think we could all find it, put a couple things on the list. No? I won't mention college football. I always say football because I like baseball. I mean, it's totally wicked for, for me. I protect my, my own pleasures, right? I don't watch it. I listen to it. Um, so foolish controversies. Know things that are useful to be known. Cling to them and get rid of all these foolish things. Genealogies. What is the purpose of a genealogy? Why have you done genealogies? <laughs> what? You want to know what? Exactly. Yeah, right? Genealogies serve the purpose of, of allowing a boast in pedigree. And what is what 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 does the word of God say to that? It's not those who are descended of Abraham who are true sons. It's those who are circumcised in heart. Right? And so um, genealogies allow you to to investigate and feel comfortable in your self importance. Right? Some of it's nice information to know. Like, you know, I'd like to know where my ancestors were from. But really, what I want to do if I started digging into this is to know who I can boast about. Who am I connected to? Why am I so excellent today? Well, it's because of these excellent ancestors, you know, these Scottish Presbyterians I'm somehow connected to with this French name. I'm sure there are some Scots back there somewhere, right? There has to be. Um, Stan? <laughs> okay, yeah. That's the, the ugly stepchild of the Scots. Um, strife. What about strife? Don't engage in strife. Combat. Warfare. Um... Wanting to always be conquering and connecting it with what comes before foolish controversies and genealogies and, and strife, right? Getting in arguments about things that don't matter, right? Always wanting to win the battle that has no bearing on anything eternal, right? You've known argumentative types like that, you've known those who cannot cannot be gracious, right? Can't disengage when they think you're wrong. Oh, man, and, and we all know the sin of this, right? We all feel this in our bones. And then fights about the law. Why, do, why in the world does Paul bring up fights about the law? I thought he was a pro-law guy. Yes, remember in the yes, remember in the in the early church, 
there were a lot of disputes about the law because who was afflicting the churches? What do we read of in the book of Galatians? The Judaizers. And what do the Judaizers essentially teach? If you had to boil it down to its essence. Before you can be a Christian, you must become a Jew. Right? And so you must... You must be. They were pushing circumcision in the Galatian church, and Paul says, "Look, circumcision amounts to nothing." And um, and so the, that's that's faith plus, right? That's the faith plus something. It's that one work. It's that um, it's it's baptismal regeneration, except it's circumcisional. Regeneration, and so, <clears throat> um, so it's not that it's not that the law is unimportant. That's not why Paul says fights about the law. It's not like he doesn't want you to give attention to the law, but but um, don't be those who pervert the law, who misinterpret the law, who force the law to become something it is not meant to be. Right, which is um, which is to place a work before justification, right? And in the meantime, to disturb the peace of the church through those disputes about the law. Um, this is Galatians, ceremonies and foods, making mandatory what God has abrogated in His Son, right? Making circumcision mandatory, making certain food laws mandatory which have all been removed in Jesus Christ. That would lead to fights about the law that he's talking about. And there were Jews on the island of Crete. He's already mentioned that they were not to pay attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. There were Judaizers here just like there were in every church at this time. So... I mean, think about this. Always questioning unimportant things, boasting in your pedigree, arguing, and then confidently making assertions about things that you don't understand. (laughs) Oh, man. It's rather convicting, isn't it? That's what you're not to be engaged in. Paul goes on to say, Um, reject a factious man. In other words, reject the type of man or woman who lives in the space of those four things I mentioned. Reject that type of person after how many warnings? Yeah. After a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Okay? And so... That's a very interesting statement, isn't it? That that um, that some a person in the church who engages in these four things and becomes um, factious, right, tries to draw people into his world and out of the world of the church, or into his sphere sphere of influence in the church, is to be rejected, right? Rejected, kicked out, 
dealt with, pushed away so that he may not have influence. And, and this is church discipline. Right? This, is, this is why church discipline exists, because all of us can get in a situation where we're majoring in these four foolish things. And the purpose of church discipline is to say, no, we reject that. We reject you. Repent, and we'll love you back. We will, we will welcome you back, but you can't be divisive. You can't be, um, you, you can't be adding your leaven to the church. The church is to be pure, right? And so the, the um, church discipline is very important, isn't it? The church is to be pure. The elders and pastors of a church have a responsibility to to pursue that purity in the church. And all of you and all of us took vows that we would, we would pursue that purity and peace of the church. And so those who, who decide to dispute about the law and to boast in their pedigree and to you know, bring up vain, stupid, speculative questions that they think are the be-all, end-all of, of all Christian doctrine and, and those who, who are constantly arguing about it, are to be disciplined by the church. And that obviously comes in various stages, right? Right? I mean, it, it first comes in right here what I'm doing now. Right? Preaching the word, reminding us that we can't be factious. This is, this is discipline for all of us. But then it moves on to more formal discipline after that. So think about this. Examine yourself for the purpose of discerning the purity of the local body. Examine yourself to discern purity of the local body. and, And then beyond this, is the church today practicing good church discipline? Are we willing to reject any man... No matter how perverted, turned, and that, that word here means turned inside out, right? Like perverted. You know, I, are we willing to reject any man, no matter how perverted, sinful, self-condemned? Those who ultimately are rejected, those who go through the whole process and remain stubborn against church discipline, have indeed already condemn themselves, right? Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned, right? He has condemned himself by the sins that he has clung to rather than clinging to the word of God and repenting. And so it shows forth in their evil works. And so... You know, when, when church discipline goes all the way to excommunication, excommunication is merely the formal consummation of their own self-condemnation. Think of that. It's just publicly pronouncing what they have brought upon themselves, their self-condemnation. And all for the purpose that they might be reclaimed and repent. But here's Paul telling I mean, think of it also. The Cretans were always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And he's told, speak confidently, 
Tell them to engage in good deeds. Don't let them get caught up in stupid ideas. And if anybody in the church is, is rebellious after just two warnings, reject them. Too much is at stake in this. The purity of the church, the work of the church, the ongoing growth of that church is at stake in that man. So pray for, pray for the elders. Pray for the elders of churches, right? It is hard to do this work. It's hard to reject factious men, especially when people see it and they think you're being mean. And then the gossip mill starts in the church. And then people begin to doubt whether the elders have done right, right? That they've just been... um, Wanting to, they've been the ones who are who are committing strife, rather than responding to the the sins of the church. Calvin said, um, another Calvin quote here as we close. Calvin said, "Everything that that does not contribute to godliness shall be held in no estimation. Anything that doesn't contribute to godliness, we just shouldn't esteem at all." It should have no bearing in anything in the church, in our lives, in our faith. Any thoughts? Any questions about this passage? That's right. Yes. Yeah, and and it, it also means being humble and listening to correction, right? Don't don't think that you can't be the factious man. Sin is always divisive, right? You, our own sin is leaven that can leaven the whole lump. Right, and so so we we have to be willing to receive rebuke and to repent. Rebuke based upon the word, obviously all these things, but but we give um, but we need to be ready to receive this and we need to examine ourselves in these areas. Right? Are you the are you which of these four causes you more problems? Is it the, the vain speculations? Is it Boasting in your education? Is it wanting to always be right? Right? Or are you twisted up about doctrine? You've got your pet doctrine that's like, that doesn't make any sense. And yet it's like, you know, the be all end all of everything you do, everything you filter through that. Okay? Well, uh, hopefully, through the ministry of the church, the ministry of the word, Privately, uh, those things will be rooted out from us, and the church will be purified to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Father. We pray that you would, you would, Lord, help us to examine ourselves, help us to to see and truly be humble, Lord, and see where we are are breaking these, are participating in un, these unfruitful deeds. Lord, I pray that we would be zealous for good works. I pray that we would crave to do not what 
just satisfies us and our egos and, and that we think is a good use of our time. But, Father, that we would truly engage in good works, that we would crave to do things that please you. Lord, to, to give up ourselves, to make the sacrifices that this requires so that you would be glorified, that we would love our neighbors, and that your church would be purified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.